to all stand up. Can we play that song again? It's such a cool song, eh? Kirk Franklin. Amen. If you're sitting back down, if you want to move to the front, uh, a bit closer. This um, great. You move a bit closer. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Okay. Are we ready? Who's ready? Fantastic. Okay, part two, Game Changers. Everyone turn to the person beside them, left and right, and say, good morning, Game Changer. How you doing? How you doing? Yeah, you can say that as well, how you doing? Just say it like that, how you doing? Uh, this morning, um, with Game Changer part two, if you missed last week, we're going to have a recap. Uh, recap is, um, last week we spoke about the effectiveness of a local church and we spoke about the church in um, Thessalonians, how, how Paul writes to them. It's uh, maybe 50 years after the church um, lost Jesus. Jesus went back to heaven. And 50 years later, this church of uh, Thessalonica was birthed. And Paul writes to them. And it's a cool phrasing. He's using some really cool phrasing. Um, the scripture we took in last week was First Thessalonians 1. So if you missed it last week, that's the text you can listen to on podcast as well. Um, but it's first, first, first Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1 to 10. And the key parts that we pulled out of it was this, these scriptures here. Uh, when we talk about from verse 2, we always thank God for, for you. Continually mentioned in you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith. Your labor prompted by love. And your endurance inspired by hope. And then we talked about how, how effective we can be as a local church because that local church, when Paul was writing to them, they were already doing things in their own city that was changing the whole city around. And I love the fact that when Paul writes to them, he goes, hey, I've heard about you guys. I haven't just heard about you guys around your city, but all over the world they're talking about you. Pretty cool, eh? And we learned the fact that as game changers, God has called us, every single one of us, to be game changers. What is a game changer? Someone that can innovate or change up the current format. We talked last week about Jonah Lomu. Who's a big fan of Jonah? Hands up. When he got on the field, you were going, what is he going to do? Who is he going to run over? I only followed him when he played for the Blues. But then he went to that Waikato team and I decided not to play or watch that anymore. Can we just put our hands together again? Well done to the Auckland Blues. Thank you so much. They won last night. They won it us. But it's amazing that amazing people throughout history, Steve Jobs, innovated, transformed the way we listen to music. 
Last week we saw the VHS tape. My kids were going, what is that? On the way home, Dad, what is that? It's like from a museum. I go, oh, 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 oh. watch it, I'll museum you soon. Okay. But a lot of the things have innovated, had changed. But the major thing about God is that God uses us to change things up wherever he puts us. We're not just about showing up onto a field or about changing the whole game. So when God places you in your workplace, you're not just there just to do this, do that, normal routine. Who's, who's tired of normal routine? It feels like it's like the same routine every week. How about if you change your mindset and look at your workplace as a place of harvest? Because that's the church here. When, when Paul was writing to them, they, he had to change their mind. He had to remind them, wow, you guys are already known. Hello? You're already doing it. Keep on doing it. And the amazing thing about God is that he wants to say the same for you. If you're in a workplace, you think, oh, I'm getting tired of this place. Maybe flip the script and change it up and say, God, what have you got me here for? Even if it's just changing one life. Even that person that annoys you every day. And you've been praying for patience. And you drive and go, oh no, Sandy's on the desk today. <laughs> oh Lord, why is Sandy working for us? She should be down at the company down the road. And then you pray in the morning, God, give me patience. Hello? And you meet Sandy. Sorry if your name is Sandy. I'm, I'm very sorry. Only time I knew Sandy was Greece. But it's important to understand is that God puts people in your life to test you because he wants to produce fruit out of you. Because when you walk in there on, on Monday morning and you're like, had a great Sunday, you're like praising God. Woohoo! Let's go! I'm a game changer! And then you get out of your car on the Monday morning, you go to the office and you go, Sandy. Oh, Lord. Sandy's there again. And God speaks to you and says, patience. Do you want patience? Here's Sandy. How about today you have lunch with patience? I mean, Sandy. How about if you sit in line and say, Sandy, I'm buying you lunch today. <laughs> Lord, help me. But hello, who's got some Sandys in their life? Please don't put your hand up. You're sitting beside your Sandy. We need to be game changers. We can't just show up. Last week we talked about Kobe Bryant, he passed away. We talked about his effectiveness in a generation, the most feared man in a generation on a basketball court. But he, if you look at this documentary, you see that he does these little things. He says that it's not the game that he plays that wins, that he wins. It's the small things that you don't see that make him win. See, some of us think, oh, it's just showing up on Sunday. That's it. No, no, it's when you're all alone at home praying to God, when the lights are out, and you're saying, God, I don't know how we're going to pay the bill tomorrow, but I know you're going to come through. Well, God, I'm going to pray for my, my brother. I haven't seen him in a while, and I'm trusting you for breakthrough in his life. Those small victories in those quiet times are more precious than you just raising your hand on Sunday. Hello? Because anyone can raise their hand. I've seen you guys raise your hand at the rugby matches. I've seen you guys say some other things that might rugby matches I want to express at church. But the thing is that we're real about this because we need to understand something, that God has called you into the environment you are to change it. Don't just settle. 
I remember a long time ago, um, back in the 80s, back in the 80s, museum days, my, my father would take us Saturday morning, 6 a.m., and we used to go and collect aluminium cans. Who used to do this with their, father, their parents? Hands up. And we used to go early in the morning, aluminium cans, because we went down to our local car park, and there was a sky there from the waste manager or somewhere where they had to, they were trying to get people to recycle, and you had to collect as many cans. And my dad used to get all these bags of aluminium cans, and we used to go to the man, and I was, was waiting for the man to put them on the aluminium cans on the weight, the weight thing, and he would go, $13. You know, I was so excited, because all the hard work meant something. There was value behind the hard work that we put in. Hello? There were times that my dad would go, Joe, go into the rubbish over there. <laughs> go in the rubbish over there and see if there's any cans in there. <laughs> okay. And you know, those moments where you're going through the can trash and you're looking on the side of the road, <laughs> can trash. <laughs> I know that's a Psalm 1 word. We make up words. And can trash, and you take the can out. All those little moments of, of, of awkwardness, of inadequacy, or of humility, it meant something. There's value at the end of it. You know, even though my dad got like $13, I think the most we got was $27 one morning. My dad will probably say something totally different. But there was a lot of money in the 80s. Hello? And you think, what are we going to do with this? My dad would use it to pay the bills. A few years later, my dad, I think you've heard the story, he won a car in those, um, uh, the right to receipt, put it in the box. He won one of those cars. So he's not one of these guys that goes and actually drives around. And he's going, he tells a guy, okay, where can I sell it? Because he wanted the money. Because he used that. So he won this car. He went to the guy. They said, well, we'll take it to a local dealership and you need to get them to buy it off you. So he did that. He went to do it. And guess what? He got the money back and it was a down payment for the house they live in now. So they live in Pamuel in East Auckland right now. And their house is their house. I remember the first time we went to the house, I looked at the front door and we're going, oh, this, does auntie stay here? And it doesn't look like any of the state houses we live in. And we went to the front door. My dad opened it and said, welcome home. In Psalm 1, our first home that they actually brought. Pretty cool, eh? And investments like that, things like that, moments like that in your life, a game changes. See, my dad could have done those ones, eh? Like many people do. Want a car, drive it around. Just drive it around. Yeah, that's right. Cool car, stink house. Paying someone else's mortgage. Hello? But he used his, 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 his mindset was this. My dad didn't have a poverty mindset. Even though we didn't have much, his mindset was different. He, he thought to himself, how can I be better? How can I get my family ahead? Sell the car, get the house. We now have an asset to use for the future. The house is worth over a million dollars now. Just like the houses, remember back in the old days in Greyland? Greyland, a family just sold their house two years ago for $2.1 million dollars. Polynesian family. And they came in the early 70s. But they stayed, they planted themselves, they invested, and guess what? Now they live in a place where they can actually afford no mortgage, but they're actually living 
a place where they can afford it. And also at the same time, they broke a mindset. Last week we spoke about poverty is not a locality. It's a mentality. We lived in the state housing system in East Auckland for most of our adult years. Went from one state house in GI to Pamua, and then back to, Pam, uh, back to GI in the Glen Innes area. If you don't know where GI is, <laughs> it's there. <laughs> it's all changed now. It looks more like St. Helier's now. But Glen Innes, we grew up in the state housing area there, but my parents never had a mindset of, we'll just make it through. We'll just scratch through life. This is all. This is my lot in life. We'll just settle here. No, no. They had this thing of, let's just break this out. So my parents, and I, I was talking to my parents last week about this. They sent us, my dad worked, and I'm going to personal stories because I want you to just break a mindset here. Because there's, there's something over South Auckland we need to break. It's a mindset. Okay? Poverty is a mindset over South Auckland. Even though you live in South, you don't have to live like you're from South. Hello? Because that's a mentality. You don't get rid of your culture, your personality, but you don't live like you can't live. Hello? So when I share these stories, it's not because I want to boast about where these came from, but my parents made some very good decisions as immigrants to New Zealand to actually invest not in the now, but in the future. When we talk about church, we don't invest for the now, we invest for the future. We stand in, in the place right now that Bruce and Teresa, 25 years ago, saw the future. Well, Paul and Tanya saw the future. Hello? We live in the blessing of someone else's faithfulness. So we've got to be grateful for that. So my parents, um, they obviously, they sent us to some very expensive schools around that time. Very expensive schools. My, my brothers and I went to a school called Sacred Heart College, which is a Catholic, Roman Catholic school. It is a very expensive school. Even by today's standards, it's number five most expensive school to go to in the whole of New Zealand. Okay? All my nephews go there, not, not us, because our kids are investing somewhere else. And then my sisters went to a school called Baradine in an area called Remurera. Not Mandurewa, Remurera. But they were very priced schools because my parents didn't have a poverty mindset. If you looked at them walking around with the lover lovers, my dad with his, his, um, his shirt off walking around, <laughs> he wasn't poor. He was himself. His mindset wasn't poor. Because he always thought, how can we go, how can we be better? How can we change this up? They served, um, I've done a little post about my kids this week. And I was talking to one of the ladies whose kids go there now. My parents invested about 20, 25 years of their lives into those schools. And the parents of now that have their kids there have said that my parents' move to take us there was actually a game changer for them because it broke a mindset. Who are we? Well, we could do anything, but you're from South Auckland. What? So we can do more. Did you know that Sir Edmund Hillary came from Southside? Tokyo. You always bring up Tokyo. <laughs> but he's from South Auckland. He broke a mindset. Thank you. And the thing is that we don't have to live that way. 
Because sometimes we walk around life, and the, and the reason why I want to share this, because I'm going to share some practical things about living as game changers. That when you walk into society, obviously we need to lift our heads up high. We need to be proud of our culture, be proud of our faith, be proud of who we are. Amen? So when you walk out there and people ask you, where are you from? I say, oh, I live in Mangere, I work in Papakura, and what? I'm proud of that. Because it's the mindset you come with. I live in uh, Manurewa. I'm proud of that. You don't change your viewpoint because, oh, oh, so your kids don't go to this school. No, because they're changing the world in the school I put them in. That's the mindset change. Hello? So Abby, when she goes to Onehanga High, she's, she's a game changer right there. She changes the environment around her. We talked about being a tree. God has called us to be oaks of righteousness. We talked about scientifically, well, scientifically, every mature tree, mentioned this last week, every mature, it won't say mature, mature, every mature tree takes pollutants in the air and turns it into oxygen to give life to four people around them. God has called us to be oaks of righteousness. Who are you feeding into? Who, what kind of Life are you actually feeding to others? What are you releasing? We spoke about last week about being proud of who you are and walking around and go, breathe it in. I've been with Jesus, breathe it in. So when people look at your life, they can go, oh, smells so good. Boom. There's a fragrance. The Bible uses a lot of metaphors of fragrance. There's a fragrance coming off you. Oh, it tastes so, it tastes so good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. It smells so good. Do you know those, uh, those, those flavors that you go around when you're driving around and you, like after this at lunchtime, you're going to go, KFC. Huh? You know where those flavors are coming from. Hello? Who knows the smell of KFC? Hand up. And you know when you're driving and you go, can someone smell KFC? Yeah, I can smell KFC. Can you smell KFC? Yes, I can smell. Should we stop at KFC? Oh, maybe. I'm not sure. And he goes, yes, we should stop at KFC. You smell the fragrance before you even get there. So the thing about our lives is that we are sweet-smelling incense to God. So if we walk into a room, people smell us, and they go, you smell so good. If someone comes and... Comes up to David, oh, you smell good. <laughs> it's not links. It's the presence of God in his life oozing out of him because he spent time with the maker, the creator. And when I go to, when people come around Nancy and they go, Nancy, you are, oh, I just feel God all over you. I smell God all over you. That's it. If people come up to you and they go, There's an issue. Hello? There's an issue here. There is an issue here. Like the most time you spend with something, you start to become like them. We heard it this morning. The more you look at something, the more you become like something. The more you stay around. I've got some aunties that love wearing as many perfumes as they can. Like they get every perfume and they just spray it all over them. And you know the church aunties and you go up to them, you hug them, and I hope you don't get tainted by the smell of perfume. Some of you are going, don't, don't, Joe, don't go there. Too early. Too early, Joe. <laughs> so, I know some of you are thinking, is that me, Joe? Are you talking about me, Joe? I'm not talking about anyone in this room. But you know those aunties. And you go up to them, and you hug them, and you walk away. 
why do I smell like auntie? Because you've been in the presence of auntie. Auntie's embraced you, and you walk away with fragrance. That's not yours. It's someone else's. So when people around you, they walk away with the fragrance you leave. In your workplace, the people around you, and you go up to them, and they're talking to you, and you start to speak hope, faith, and love into their life. They walk away, wow, there's hope for me. God does love me. That does so much wonders for their life. It will change them. This week I had a, I had a friend, and I just want to bounce into this story. I had a friend from Australia who lives in Brisbane. He'll probably be listening to this. I haven't seen him. He's walked away from Christ. Um, he was one of our worship leaders at a church we previously were. And um, he inboxed me. I do this thing all the time when I say, hey, just give me an inbox. And people actually respond. <laughs> like this morning, a friend responded from the North Shore. Hey, thanks for doing what you do. I just want to thank you. I honor you, my bro. And I said, nah, all good, bro. Thanks for your kind words. Da, da, da. But another brother inboxed me last week. Bro, I'm struggling. I don't know what to do. I think God's forgotten me. Oh, I said, who said, and I, this is me and my, who said that? <laughs> Joe, get off your phone. Babe, I'm talking to someone. <laughs> What's happening? Who said that? Who said God's forgotten you? And I had to remind them that even though you walk away from God, who said God ever walked away from you? Hello? Because some of us have this mindset that if we walk away from God, God's walked away from us. But, but as soon as you make that commitment and say, God, Jesus, be the Lord of my life, it says this, the promise that follows that is that I will never leave you nor forsake you. So like Rob, come Rob. And Rob, Rob makes a commitment. And Christ, lift your hand, yeah, da 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 all these, I don't know, sparky, 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 holy, holy, holy. Okay, E minor chord plays on the thing. So he's walked his life. He's made maybe a few bad decisions in your life. Done. And along the way, he thought, man, I'm going to walk away from God. God's not going to let him go. Rob's going Rob's gonna to be trying to do his own thing, but God's like a shadow. He's right there. I said I'd never, I said I'd never leave you. It's that voice in the back when you're going through something and you, you're taking that final skull because you're so wasted in the clubs and you're like, oh, no, I don't care about God. And then that conviction comes over and he goes, what are they? God, you got my attention. And then God's got your attention. When you're doing something that you're not supposed to be doing, and God's going, maybe not. And you get this conviction, man, maybe I shouldn't be doing this. Hello? Who's had that in their life where you're kind of going down a road and you're going, what's that nudging? What's that? That's the Holy Spirit just reminded you, I'm right here. <laughs> you're not going to shake or bag me, mate. I'm right here. And God's got you. And I had to remind my friend in Brisbane, don't you ever think that? And he replied, he said, thanks, bro. I just needed to hear that again. And I said to him, just pray. Guess what? Because when he turns around, Rob, just one more, bro. 
So when he, when he realizes that he's been followed by God, once he realizes, he turns around and God's right there. God's right there. And he on. Where did you come from? You know, it's a whole thing of God's never left you. Thanks, Rob. Appreciate it, bro. So here's some things, uh, here's some practical things. Last week we talked about faith, hope, and love and what we actually ooze out of us. But this morning, game changers, what we need to do is this. Number one, the Bible. Can I borrow your Bible? If you're playing in the game, you're called to be on the field. You're not a spectator in the crowd. Hello? We have a lot of coaches that sit at home. Last night I was a very... I was very tough on my team that I coach. They're called Auckland Blues. I was very strategic about how they should play last night. Okay? And so we can be coaches like that. And we can be Christians like that. Hello? Oh, they, they should be doing this. Oh, they should be living like this. Who made you judge? Who made you God? And if you've been living like that, judging everyone, maybe you should just close the mouth. And look at your life. Because you're so busy looking at log in everyone else, uh, the, the, the little speck in everyone else's life, and you can't deal with the log in your own life. So instead of judging everyone, how about just finding a place where you can get right with Christ and start living out your life? Because that's when you start smelling good. So the thing is about, this, this Bible here is our playbook. This is what you go to to actually find out, what do I do next? Um, who watched the um, Gridiron NFL Super Bowl? Final. Anyone here? Yep. I know Simon would be. I watched the, the replay. And every time they had to make a next play, you see the, the coaches, because eh, they've got quite a few coaches, going to their playbooks. One guy had an iPad. Going free. And the other guy was old school, walked around with his notebook. Andy Reid, notebook. And talking to his players, we're going to do this play. We're going to play like this. If you see it in basketball as well, when they gather around the coach and they're showing that this is, we're going to do this play right now. But we've never done that before. Yeah, that's what we're doing. It. The Bible is our playbook. We need to refer to it all the time for everything in our lives. And if you're not referring to it, that means you're missing out on the opportunity to change the game in your current situation. So refer to it as a playbook. Go to it for every single thing in your life, every decision in your life. Um, number one, here's a practical thing. Game changers prepare daily. So you're not just changing your workplace when you arrive. You're actually preparing way before that. And the little times that you spend with God, maybe five minutes a day just praying, praying for your workplace. Hands up here, just be honest, if you pray for your workplace that you work at. Fantastic. Who prays? For the universities that their kids go to? Who prays for the schools that their kids go to? Who prays for the teachers of those schools? Cool. And some little things, just adding little things to your daily life. And you may not do all at one time, but even just suddenly each day, just going, maybe today I'll just pray for the school that my kids are part of. Pray for their teacher. Because the thing is that, we invest our lives into these kids that we'll be able to steward in our lives. They go into a school, and you've got to allow God to do what he needs to do through them and in them. So 
it's important to have daily wins. What does that mean? I was going to get one of my boys to, uh, but he's looking after, helping look after the kids. I can't do any tricks. Zach's got all the tricks. I was going to ask Jeff, but he's holding a baby. But the thing about one of my sons, he plays basketball. He loves basketball. He's got to think of basketball. And the thing about Zach is that he's developed this, this great ability to dribble through his legs. I can't do that. <laughs> Every day, I'm just saying, first I've got to learn how to dribble. Because Zach tells me I can't color this and like that. Because that's a carry, apparently. I don't care. I don't play basketball. <laughs> I'm rugby man all day. But the thing is that the more times my son practices, and I see him every day, he's out there. He's like this. I'm thinking, what are you doing? Then I go out there and go, give me the ball. <laughs> give me the ball, son. Now, fathers in this room, let's be honest. You're the type of give me the ball type of person. Eh? I know robbers. Old school Simon, I'm sure you're like that. Eh? Just give me the ball. And then you get the ball and you go, let me show you a few things, my boy. I don't care about that. Three points all day. And you stand back and you go like this and you miss it. But you keep on going. You keep on going. And the thing is that when you keep on going every little day, every single day, one day you'll get it in. Or one day you'll just get better. One day you'll start playing like doing all this stuff. Not like that. But it's important to understand every single day is a day for you to keep on growing. So there's victories in every day. For example, let's go back to Sandy. God, I pray for the fruit of patience and love and joy. But every time I go and see Sandy, she's like, hey. She doesn't even say hi to me. I'm sure she whispers, not you again. But when you go up there, God, I pray you give me patience. Give me a love for this person. Give me a joy in my spirit that I can go invest. But day one, it could be like this. Hey. Day two could be like, hello. <laughs> day three could be like, hello, Sandy. And, and day four could be without the sarcasm. Hi, Sandy. Day five could be like, come, yes, thank God, it's Friday. Hi, Sandy, how are you? Hey, how's your um, family? Oh, change the game. You are now starting a conversation like a mature person. <laughs> Isn't that cool? It starts off like, because some of us think it's automatically going there. You go, rah, 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 rah. no, no. You go in there and just little by little, every day is a victory. Every day. So I don't know who your Sandy is or who the person that God's placed in your life or who the people are. Maybe God's allowing you to grow in these fruits in your life so you can, oh, sorry, fruit. My wife tells me, Joe, it's not fruits. Babe, I told you I said it right this morning. It's fruit of the Spirit that God wants to work in you. So it's important to do that. So whoever it is next on Monday morning that God's using in your life, Allow God to do it. If you are the Sandy, <laughs> if you're Sandy, just pray for yourself, okay? <laughs> but we shouldn't be Sandys. We should be 
life-giving people. And some days we don't feel like it, but that's why we've got to pray, God, help me. Help me to be better today. And there's sometimes, you know, you just want to sit home. I'm an introvert, so I like staying at home. Close the curtains, turn on Netflix, what's the latest series. That's the kind of person I am. But God's remodeled me, made me a new version because I've got to be doing this. This is what I was purposed for. I was born into something else, but I don't have to live that way. Number two, learn from your failures. Game changers, learn from your failures. Hands up if you've made some big failures in your life. Put two hands up. Um, if you don't grow from your failures, man, you're missing the opportunity to mature in Christ. If you're messed up through life and you think that it's no comeback, there is a comeback. God is a God of second chances, third chances, fourth chances. <laughs> you know, Jonah is a classic example. I go, Jonah, go and do this. Nah. Jonah, nah. <laughs> Some of you have been a Jonah at the moment. So you need to actually say, stop. Listen to God and ask God, God, what are you saying? What are you actually sending me to? Don't let failures become your greatest, or failures must become your greatest teachers so you can lead a life that's full of success. There's a great quote that says this. Don't let success get to your head and failure get to your heart. Some of us have failed, made some bad decisions, but the great thing is that you made the bad decision, now learn from that decision and grow. Number three is this. Game changers help others to win. If you want to be a game changer, you're not an individual player. In a team sport, everyone's there for everyone else. So, Rob, you're my team. David, come on, join my team, brother. Michelle, come on board the team. <laughs> come on. What are you scared for? Don't be scared. And the thing about whatever God gives us, this is the vision. It's got to be shared. I've got to be able to pass it around. And the more times we do this, the more natural we'll become. But you can't keep it to yourself. Just wait there, just wait there. The thing is that it's a team sport. Being a Christian is a team sport. One day you'll stand individually before Christ, but the thing is that it's a team game. Being part of this walker is a team thing. If you get tired and go, I don't want to carry this ball again. Well, you're not being a team player. You're being Sandy. And I don't want to be a Sandy. Sorry if you're listening to this and your name is Sandy. We're just using it as an example. Thank you. But the thing is that we need to understand something. That we're all part of the team. We all need to be carrying this together. When one person is set up for something, he's ready to go. He's ready to receive it. I'm ready to receive it. Michelle's ready to receive it. Rob's ready. We're all ready. Thank you. All of us have to be ready to carry this. This is our vision. This is what we need to do. To be game changers in your environment where God has you, it's a game that you need to be playing with a team. How does that work when you're... Oh, thanks, guys. Give them a round of applause. Thanks. 
You're probably thinking, we're going to finish off with this. You're probably thinking, how does it work in my workplace? Because I can't take my whole church family with me. Well, you can ask them, can you pray with me before I go in? Even having a group text or friends, I'm sure some of you have it already. Hey, I'm going into an interview for a new job. Can you pray with me? That's all it requires. I know some of you already do that already. And you send texts around and you go, um, can you just pray for me? Because I'm going into a really tough situation. I just need your prayer covering. And that's all you need. Because you've got people around you who care about you, who don't want you to uh, fail, but actually want you to succeed. And the thing is that we need to be in this environment where we need to actually encourage one another in this so we can grow in Christ. Amen? So it's important. Number three is this. We've got to remember this. This is a team. We need to help each other. I want Talia to succeed. I want Michelle to succeed. I want David to succeed. I want Brett to succeed. If you're coming to church because you, it's all about you, you're missing the point. You're actually missing the point. It's all about, it's not all about it, it's all about Christ, but Christ puts us into family so we can work through life together. In my own family with my wife and our six boys, you know, we have this journey together. And me bringing vision to our family along with my wife is important for our whanau to actually succeed in life. But the thing is that one day, Zach might get to a place and um, I don't agree with some of the things. I don't know if you'll say that one day. I don't know. But that's where conversation happens. That's where we sit down and go, what do you mean? Let's just bounce it off each other. Because the reality is that when you, as you're feeding your kids, the world is also feeding your kids. So you need to have those environments where you can have open conversation. I came from an environment where we didn't talk about money. It just appeared. We got new clothes because it has happened. We never spoke about sex in our family. My parents just said, they just came from God. <laughs> just happened. Huh? Okay. We believe you. Okay. And we never talked about sexuality in our family. Because in some cultures, it's taboo to talk about sexuality. But those things have to be in a place of safety within family so you can talk about it. The reason why I say that is that in our church family here, we've got to be open enough to talk about things so you can actually be able to have strength to deal with things. So you can't just tell your kids, they just come from God. The babies just come. Reuben knows exactly where babies come from now. They don't come, they come, they're blessed, they're all blessed by God. But Reuben as a seven-year-old needs to know where babies come from. And we have this wonderful little book that we've been using with our kids to explain sexuality and sex with them. Because if we don't teach them, the world will teach them. Hello? Or their friends. And you don't want to be telling stories, coming home and dealing with stories from their friends. Oh, my friend, his name is Brian, and he told me that. He's telling all this stuff. Oh, no, 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 no. Don't believe what Brian says. Believe what dad and mum say. And this is what we, and we have to walk them through this. The reason why I'm saying this is that it's so important as a family to journey through life together. Together. We have this slogan that we use, he waka eke noa. Now we're on this waka together. We use that catchphrase, better together. It's not just a slogan or a phrase. Your life will be better if you're invested into a family. And guess what? Part of that family dynamic is this. You won't agree with everything everyone says, but you can have dialogue 
and open discussion, but not walk away with, you should agree with what I said. No, no, let's agree with what the Bible says, but have open conversation to have dialogue together because I want everyone in this room to succeed. You've probably been wondering the last few weeks why I'm not on the guitar, why I'm not on stage. A couple of people have asked me, aren't you worship leading this way? Um, I'm stepping back a little bit. Why? Because I want them to succeed. This is a place, and it should be safe enough for them to fail and succeed at the same time. Our kids, when they get up here and they do speeches or speak in public, they should be able to fail and succeed in the safe place. We shouldn't create an environment where everything is perfect. Guess what? Everything is not perfect. That's some game-changing stuff right there. And if we keep selling that to our kids, guess what? They're going to walk in this world with this perfect veil over their life. And then things go wrong, how are they going to deal with it? What we're trying to deal with our family at the moment with our kids is this building resilience in them so whatever comes against them, they're able to stand on God's word and also stand on the values that we've invested into them. And that's what we've got to do because this world is crazy and we've got to be able to stand on God's word and change things around because we're called to be game changers. Amen? Let's all stand to our feet. Uh, we've got one, two. Next week is um, Moraitai. After Moraitai, we'll put this up on um, the event page, but um, on the 16th, I think it is, 16th, 16th to the 23rd, which is the Sunday after Moraitai, from Monday to Sunday, the church fast starts. I know some of you have already seen that. We're fasting for seven days. We'll put the information on the event page. So if you've never fasted for that long, um, there's some categories you can pick from. You can do a, um, a three-day fast or you do the full fast. If you're working in a high-intensity job, uh, we recommend you read that so you can work out what you can do. You may be able to fast the first two meals um, of the day, then eat in the evening. But it's up to you. You've got to pray about it, okay? It's you and God, okay? Because this time is precious for you to reset yourself, fix your eyes on Jesus, and pray into some big things. Why do we do it? Fasting is important because we tell the body to submit to the will of the Father. And we say, now, you know, I'm going to sacrifice one thing this week, and that's food. And I'm going to go and actually just prayerfully pray into some things God has placed in my heart. So that's starting um, on the 16th to the 23rd. We're going to have uh, we're going to break up like we always do every year, have a, have a soup. Okay, and I say some of you go, why can't we have like a hearty meal? You can have a hearty meal after. We'll just have soup here first, and then um, and just so you can actually get your body back into reset. If you've never done a fast before, Give it a go.